John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that what he sa- why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are from this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me, He has not left me alone, for I will always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. She picks up the telephone. The test results determined that you are pregnant. Her stomach begins to feel like it's caving in as she's being encompassed in fear, shocked. It's 1994, she's halfway through her junior year in high school, and she feels lost. How am I gonna do this? I don't have a job, I'm only in high school. Am I now just a statistic? Her parents are recently divorced and she's afraid to add fuel to the fire between them. So a few days goes by, And she walks up to her mother's door, trembling. Mommy, I have to talk to you. You're pregnant. Yep. But we're going to do what we got to do. She called her father shortly after, and he too said the same thing. They took it better than she thought that they would. The rest of her family gave their support and wrapped around her like a village, saying, you have nothing to worry about. This baby is our baby, too. And even more, this is God's baby. However, as weeks went on, members of her church community had a very different take on the matter. They attempted 
to shame her parents. How could you allow your daughter to get pregnant? They attempted to cast a false identity on her. She's despicable before God. They attempted to condemn her growing child. That baby is a mistake. This young woman felt like she was caught in the middle of two different narratives, two different perspectives, two different voices, that of the truth and that which is lies, which are lies, excuse my grammar. In one ear, she was being told that the child in her womb was a mistake, and in the other ear, she was being told that this child was a gift. This was a war between truth and lies, a very ancient battle. Ultimately, she, gave, she chose to believe in the truth, that this baby was not a mistake. This baby was intentionally knitted together in her womb, and that God does not make mistakes. In January of 1995, she gave birth to me and hasn't looked back ever since. She's actually sitting in the back. So my mother was in the midst of a fight between truth and lies, but what if I said that you too are involved in the same fight? Can you think of a time when you've heard or spoken a lie? Can you think of a time when you longed to know what is true? This is the battle of this. This is the setting of our text today in John chapter 8. So Tyler just read the first section, so I'm not going to read that. But this dialogue is a continuation of John 7 during the Feast of Booths. This is a festival in Israel where the Jews would celebrate God's care for their ancestors in the wilderness after the Exodus. Every night of the festival, the priests would light candles in the temple courts which pointed back to the pillar of fire that the Israelites would follow in the nighttime. It's with that in mind that Jesus declares that he is the light of the world. You follow him and it'll lead to life. The Pharisees take issue though. They go, hold on, Jesus. According to the Torah, one's testimony had to be confirmed and validated by at least one other person in order for it to be considered true and valid. So who are you, Jesus, to be making these claims about yourself? And then Jesus, you know, he bucks up a bit. First of all, my personal testimony is sufficient in and of itself. But also, it's not just me who testifies. The Father testifies the same thing that I'm telling you. That's a well-qualified witness, right? <laughs> but throughout this conversation, they don't understand that he's talking about God the Father. They think that he's talking about a human father. And they know his story. Who's your daddy, Jesus? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but remember, the folks that he's talking about right now are supposed to be leading the Jews in their relationship with God, but Jesus claimed that they actually don't relationally know God because they didn't recognize his son. Jesus is trying to help them see that he is unified with the Father in everything and that he is from a different realm altogether. He is not of this world because the Father has sent him to this world. He's declaring that everything that he is saying is true, yet they question his testimony. To distrust his testimony is not only to oppose Jesus, but also to oppose the Father who testifies of that testimony. Are you following? Good morning. I'm not yelling at you. I'm just, I'm passionate. <laughs> but then he concludes with, it'll all make sense when you crucify me everything. And then John records that many believed in him at that point, 
And the conversation then, it takes a turn and it intensifies, further illuminating the battle between truth and lies. So let's continue in our text in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that you shall set, we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. Well, if you are Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You were doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children. Now, real quick, think about Jesus' story. Who impregnated Mary? Everybody knows this. Who's your daddy, Jesus? We're not illegitimate children. We're not children conceived in sin, Jesus. That's the dig that's going on here. They protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Sheesh. How we go from Abraham to the devil is your father? Well, excuse me, Jesus. To the same people who just believed in him. This is who he is talking to. He clarifies that to be his disciple is to cling to his teachings. And to cling to his teachings is to know the truth. And to know the truth is to experience freedom. But what does Jesus understand as truth? How would you define truth? Is it a set of beliefs and ideas? Is it a philosophy or a collection of abstract concepts? Truth is that which is in agreement with reality. But even more, it's a reality as God sees it. As followers of Jesus, we trust his way of seeing the world and live in a manner that he lays out in his teachings. Read the Sermon on the Mount. It's very practical. Could you imagine what the world would look like if we just said, we'll just obey three chapters of the Gospels? How much even that would change things in our society, in our city, in our homes, in our lives personally. Furthermore, truth is a person. In verse 36, Jesus just said, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
Earlier, he said the truth will set you free. Later on, he will say, I am the way, the and the life. Come on now. Come on, somebody. We about to have a little bit of black church today. I'm just letting you know. He is the essence of truth. Where's JT when you need him, right? <laughs> Man. But Jesus' point is that to be in allegiance with him is to be in allegiance with truth. And as a result of that allegiance, you will experience freedom. That's a promise. But what do they need freedom from? Their minds go to a socio-political enslavement. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. But Jesus is talking about enslavement to sin. His desire is to see people transformed from being enslaved by sin to becoming children of the Father. He is the one who can rescue them out of that enslavement to sin and bring them into his family. So what does enslavement to sin lead to? Why is that a big deal? Because it leads to nothing but death and destruction. That might happen immediately or it might happen over time, but nevertheless, that is the trajectory. Are you following? Although they're holding on to their family ties with Abraham, they aren't doing what their forefather did which was to trust Yahweh, even when it made no sense. Rather, Jesus exposes their desire to kill him as the alignment with their spiritual father, the devil. In a nutshell, Jesus' sense of reality is that they were deceived into believing that they were actually aligned with truth, but were actually far from God. They were under the illusion of freedom, when in fact they were actually enslaved to sin. But this is the result of the work of a significant being known as the devil. And this isn't a proper name. This is a title, which means accuser. And this accuser is a liar and a murderer. Here we have Jesus' most extensive teaching on this being in the scriptures. The devil has a spiritual lineage that he is the father of. He's a murderer whose goal is to see the death of God's human imagers. He's incompatible with truth because he is the originator of lies and deception. Lying is his specialty. It's his niche. Nobody does it better than him. Many times he will tell a partial element of truth and twist it and pervert it in order to skew the whole truth. And that's what can make his lies pretty compelling, if you ask me. Is that they can be partially grounded in reality. Lies, deception, and partial truths are his weapons against human beings. The devil weaves a web of deception and lies as his means to stir up our disoriented desires to cause enslavement to sin, which ultimately leads to death. That's his mission. He knows that he can't defeat God, so he goes after his kids. James has something to say about this in the opening of his letter. When tempted, No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That is the trajectory, y'all. I'm not making this up. I recall a story, and maybe you recall it too, of a husband and a wife who lived in a garden blooming with freedom, provision, and peace. And their God gave them guidelines for wise living in this garden. However, a creature in that garden desired to cause their demise. 
So the creature approached the woman and deceived her with partial truth into taking and eating of a forbidden fruit. Does this sound familiar? The man followed suit and ate of the same thing. Yet after the deceptions, the humans chose to live according to their own sense of wisdom, and they were exiled from their home. And then outside of the garden, the couple began building a family, and they have two sons. And these sons have a sacrificial ceremony to their God. This is amazing, right? That's what you're supposed to do. But then one son, the older one, his sacrifice was not accepted or looked upon with favor. And he left away pretty upset. But then his God approaches him and says, hey, you have a choice to make. You can choose to do good right now or not. God warned him that sin was crouching like an animal, ready to pounce and prey on him at any moment if the opportunity came. But God said, you can rule over it. But the son decided to murder his brother in a field. The downward spiral is that the serpent's deception of the woman led to sin, and sin led to Cain murdering his brother. This is the mission of the devil. The snake in the garden, the animal-like sin that was crouching, waiting to devour Cain, it's the enemy, y'all. He is the father of lies who desires to steal what does not belong to him and lead humans into destruction. This has been his mission since the beginning. But Jesus is the truth who desires to freely give to all and lead us into life. Come on now. The devil is the lying accuser against us, but Jesus is the truthful mediator for us. Jesus is the essence of and only speaks truth in which he causes human freedom from sin, which ultimately leads to life. That's his mission, and nothing will stop him. And nothing can stop him. Jesus is dead set on destroying the devil's kingdom, his mission, and the devil himself. 1 John 3.8 says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus wanted the smoke. I don't think you understand that phrase, but basically, he wanted some beef and he came to get it. <laughs> Just take a break on that one. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus wanted to smoke. <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. But Jesus sees himself as a king that is at war. It's his kingdom versus that of the devil. The Jews of his day anticipated a Messiah that would go to war that, that would go to war with and be victorious over the Romans. But Jesus doesn't see his fight as against flesh and blood, but as against powers, principalities, demons, authorities, and the devil who uses humans and systems and even empires like the Romans to do heinous things. Jesus doesn't see the folks that he is conversing with as his true enemy. He wants them to repent and know the truth. He sees the devil. That's who's 
That's who's behind all of this. I want to destroy him. Jesus is the seed of the woman that gets talked about in Genesis 3. 15 particularly. He's the snake crusher. He's here to stomp on the snake's head. He wants to smoke. (laughs) But it's going to cost him. But he thought it was worth it. This war between truth and lies was present in the beginning, in the days of Jesus, and to this very day. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, we are at war. You can thank Christian for that one. And the feedback, he was like, neighbor? Anyways. (laughs) It would be ignorant of us to assume that the mission of the devil is not just as prevalent today as it was for the generations before. This battle between truth and lies is not simply about ideas or convictions. It's about what leads to life and flourishing and what leads to death and destruction. And I don't mean that hyperbolically, nor do I mean that dramatically. Alongside Jesus, you and I are at war against the devil. And I don't mean that word hyperbolically. Because we are at war, we must be aware of our, ta- of, of our enemy's tactics and schemes. Jesus, the apostles, and the scriptures make it clear that one of, if not the main tactic of the devil, is to lie and influence. Is to lie to influence and capture our thought patterns. If we can get into your mind, then we can get into your heart. If we can get into your heart, we can get into your actions. We must be aware of what we listen to and consume in our media, And everywhere else. (laughs) We must be aware because those things begin to marinate in our minds even when we're not thinking about them. Not only can the devil speak lies to our thoughts, but so can we. It's not the devil behind every corner or under every rock. We got an internal issue too. Both the devil and us, we can speak lies such as, you are a disappointment to God. If you suppress the pain, it'll go away. You need to perform in order to be valued. You are alone in this world. One more visit to that webpage won't hurt. If you expose your sin, they won't love you. See, the devil desires to get these lies in constant rotation in our minds so that these seeds of lies may be planted in our hearts. The problem is not merely that lies are spoken, even though that's an issue, but it's that many times we trust and believe them, which turns into an embodiment of these lies. You know what? I am a disappointment to God, which can turn into attempts to avoid him. I am alone in this world, which can turn into isolation from community. Because of my sin, I'm unlovable, which can turn into hiding. I need to ignore the pain, ignore the hurt, ignore the bad habit. I'll grow out of it, which can turn into emotional and mental unhealthiness. I speak all of these things from experience. I've embodied all of these things. 
If the lies take roots in our hearts, they will bear fruit in our actions. These actions sometimes flesh out in huge ways in the immediate, but most of the time it's over the long haul. It's the little things that build up over time. For example, hundreds of dollars in credit card porn charges don't happen overnight. It's the many of the one more visit to the webpage. It's the buildup. The tragic increase of suicidal ideation and attempts and fulfillments don't happen overnight, y'all. It's the buildup of the many, I am alone in this world. Workaholism doesn't happen overnight. It's the buildup of the many, I need to perform in order to be valued. The specifics of whatever example may be different for each of us, but the temptation to trust lies is the same. You hear me? The enemy uses lies, deception, and partial truths against all of us. Often they're subtle and missable, but lies over time will always end in destruction. Just give it time. If Jesus is telling the truth here, If I were to believe, if you were to believe, if all of us were to trust what he has say, like going on here in this passage, then we don't want to live unaware of the enemy's schemes. We don't want to live outside of the reality as he sees it. So how do we fight back against lies? How do we not get taken out by the enemy's tactics? Well, our friend, John Mark Comer, okay, look, it's a good book, okay? (laughs) It's a really good book, let me just say that. But this is what he suggests. Our fight with the devil is first and foremost a fight to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies and liberate them with the weapon of truth. Simply, we fight back against lies with truth. You're probably thinking like, no, duh. I get, bro, teach me. It may seem super simple, but I would argue this might be something that all of us struggle with every single day. We are being bombarded with lies every day, both externally and internally. This is not a game. So it might theoretically make sense that truth overcomes lies, but what does that look like practically? Because I need it to be about pragmatics, not about theory and theology, which sounds good. Oftentimes I felt like Jesus' words just sound good. But maybe he has a better sense of reality than you and I do. Maybe you're thinking, Hakeem, so what? Well, practically speaking, here are some ways that I think we can fight with truth. One, we cling to the rabbi's teachings. We do this because that's what we do as his disciples, as he articulated It's in the clinging to his words that we will know the truth because he only speaks truth. We discover truth in our relation to him. So literally read and meditate on the truths that him and the apostles spoke in the scriptures. It's there for us to read. Not only by yourself, but do it in community. It's communal literature. You will miss things without somebody else to help you see it. Because we all got blind spots, right? Two. Pray for God to illuminate the lies that you are believing. You are believing something that's a lie. We are believing lies 
All of us. You don't know me, bro. Yeah, but I know humankind. What if once a day, just, yo, real practical, what if once a day you took five minutes to ask God, can you reveal some lies to me, Father, that I'm believing? And then journal them. Journal the lies that you feel yourself combating. Then speak truth against those lies. Read the scriptures and just say, I'm going to repeat this statement over that lie. Until you believe it. Belief comes through repetition. A lot of the times, if there's something that comes up that has a fear at its core, it's most likely a lie. This articulation, Tyler gave me a voice message last night and I was like, oh my God, yes! Write down the identities that others have tried to place on you and that you yourself have had to try to manufacture. Ask the Father to continue to reveal who he made you to be. Write down what you sense. When we know him who is truth and listen to what he says, we are empowered to live as our true selves. The devil claims you are a disappointment to God, but Jesus says you are the Father's beloved and the evidence is that he sent me. The devil claims you are alone in this world, but Jesus says I am with you always and the Holy Spirit is the evidence of that. The devil claims if you expose your sin, they won't love you. And Jesus says, I love you too much for you not to be liberated from it. Three, ask God to reveal the truth to you through others who know him as well. People have the capacity to speak lies over you out of their own wounding and sin, but they also have the capacity to speak truth out of their own healing. This is an invitation to trust to trust others enough to let them in and to trust Jesus enough to speak through them genuinely. If you do not have a community here at Bridgetown that you are connected to, my biggest encouragement is like, go do that. I think basic starts up in the fall, something like that. Look, jump in, please. But that's not the only form of community too. You got things outside, find whatever, a group of followers of Jesus to be in close community with them, whether that be with family or friends, wherever the dust may settle, I encourage you to ask those in your community to ask you hard questions, to provide accountability, to be ears for you, to share the lies that you're fighting and or believing and allow them to beat those lies into non-existence with truth and encouragement. That truth will sting sometimes and other times it won't. And then ask them to allow you to do the same for them. This is about reciprocity and mutuality. We affect each other's paths because we are connected by Jesus. I need you and you need me. And we all need Jesus. You like that? <laughs> Little dance move, okay. In closing, I can testify to all of this personally. I'm a part of a group of guys that I genuinely see as my brothers. We live all across the country. And one of our routines is a monthly call where we share our stirrings, our sorrows, our struggles, and our sin. Every last Friday of each month, or in theory, sometimes it don't work out. But on the call this past Friday, I confessed lies that I've been believing for years. These lies were so embedded in my heart that they felt true. Before I shared my peace, I could hear the lie 
that my brothers would not love me if I brought this to the light. I could hear the lie that I was alone in this. I could hear the lie that I was, be, that I was a disappointment to God, to the God that I supposedly subscribed to. And that God regretted adopting me as a son. That he would love some future version of me better than the one that he loves right now. This was the same tactic as subtle, but the same tactic of the snake. That snake, I'm sick of him. It's the same thought patterns that I've been bumping into every time we had a call. I would remain in the shadows and then talk about other general things in my life to keep it PG, PG-13 at max. Yet each time I remained hidden in a lie and I found myself feeling enslaved to sin. It was killing me internally. All of this is running through my mind as I'm listening to one of my brothers bearing himself and exposing himself before all of us with his temptations and almost failures. And then another brother spoke up right after and said, thank you for being open with us. I wonder if you would have the strength or if you would feel safe enough to share with us if you had done the thing that you didn't want to do. That was the truth that broke me. Even though he was spoke, speaking to somebody else, God used him to speak to me in that moment. I fought through voice breaks and tears as I was trying to make it known about my sin. I exposed myself and I wept. I wanted to be free and I finally got to a place where I knew that living in the truth was the only way to freedom. I'm made to be known by others, not to hide from them. And I was terrified. But again, I fought through voice breaks and tears. And they sat there with me in my brokenness and spoke truths over me afterwards. They didn't stop loving me. They affirmed that I wasn't alone. They were the evidence that I'm, I'm not a disappointment to the Father. That he doesn't regret bringing me into his family. If they were able to be with me in love and grace as I confessed and repented, how much more would the Father? Christian is a part of that group, and he told me, um, I think... I think you were also weeping because the power of the lie was broken. You felt truth. You felt reality. Jesus caused that freedom in life. Man. The battle between truth and lies is, is not a theory. It's a reality. And I've chosen to live into myself and I could stand up here today and not be fake. And I could confidently say that I have tasted and seen what Jesus is talking about. What this man spoke 2,000 years ago, I'm experiencing right now. Forgiveness, freedom, eternal life is not just an afterlife thing. It's a reality for right now. The gospel is that life in the kingdom, the quality of life in the kingdom is presently available right now to anybody who chooses to believe in him. But that belief is not information, it's a trusting. 
You don't have to wait till you die to experience eternal life. It's a reality right now. I feel like a couple weeks ago, it just was read in John 17. This is eternal life, that they know you relationally. The one true God and he whom you've sent. Bro, I want that right now. And I've received. To live in the truth is to know freedom. And to know freedom is to experience the good life that Jesus offers. And that invitation extends to you, brothers and sisters.